Hello, everyone. Jody Heiss here. Welcome to another edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. We're glad to have you joining us today. And we've got some great guests and a great program lined up for you today as we all continue having on the front line of our interest and our concerns is the coronavirus that continues to be an issue across our country. But there are some underlying issues that are often going unnoticed, particularly by the mainstream news media. And one of the biggest things that we've been on top of as Freedom Caucus and several of us individually is this whole issue of our civil liberties that are under attack in the midst of this coronavirus. And I mean, there's things like uh, our, our lives, we're being uh, traced and tracked. A lot of that information is being handed over to the federal government. There's just a host of issues that raise a great deal of concern. Attorney General Barr actually has written a letter trying to uh, raise some warning signs of this. And basically, he has made it clear that our Constitution is not suspended in times of crisis. I could not agree with him more. And yet we continue watching governors and different mayors, municipalities all across the country place great, great uh, threats really to our civil liberties. And so that's going to be our discussion today. I have joining me two uh, incredible people, in fact, the founders of the Internet Accountability Project, are Rachel Bovard and Mike Davis. Rachel, of course, has been with us before, and Mike joining us now. Both of these individuals have very distinguished careers uh, working in the United States Senate uh, as staffers and now uh, just continue to be great leaders in our country. We're thrilled to have both of you on the podcast with us. Rachel and Mike, welcome. Glad to have you. Thanks so much for having us. Well, we are yeah, glad you, to. Thank you so much. Let's let's jump into this. I mean, it really is a, an issue, a red flag that ought to be going up on uh, the radar of every freedom-loving American. Uh, of course, we have COVID-19 that we want to deal with appropriately. The health issues that are brought to light across our country with all this. But at the same time, there has got to be a protection. There's got to be guards set up to protect our civil liberties with all of this. Uh, Rachel, let me begin with you. Uh, Let's talk about the uh, contact uh, tracing. What is contact tracing and why should this be a major concern for people? So contact tracing itself as a concept is not necessarily bad. It's been going on for years, but it's been going on as an analog conversation between someone who's infected and their doctor. And it's a way in which we sort of contain viral pathogens. When someone's infected, they tell their doctor where they've been, who they've talked to, and medical professionals try to track down those people to let them know they may be infected. So as a medical concept, it's completely fine. It's actually beneficial. But what we're seeing in the digital age is something analog just magnified explosively to, you know, a justification for a surveillance state. And the best example of this actually is South Korea, uh, where they've implemented contact tracing to the point where they use surveillance camera footage, credit card data. They, they force infected people to wear electronic wristbands so they can tell if they leave their house. Uh, they've taken it to an entirely significant uh, degree huge threats to civil liberties obviously there that I don't think Americans would tolerate. But here in the United States, you know, we're starting to have these conversations about digital contact tracing um, with private corporations. And that's the most recent conversation we've seen between the government 
Apple and Google. Uh, Apple and Google have announced they are collaborating on a contact tracing app. And there's a lot of concerns. There's a lot of concerns about, you know, what these private companies without oversight are going to do with your data. And then, of course, the additional issue of now that these private companies are colluding with the government, who's accountable uh, and how do we know what's actually going on? A patient would be with their doctor. They, they have some sort of contagious illness and the doctor would say, in essence, who have you been around uh, that that you may have exposed this to? We need to contact those people by phone. Is that correct how it used to be or how typically it's taken place? That's right. That's okay. how it's, it's and so, been But done. now with the digital, what are they following us on our phones? Uh, what what is the digital method that is being used without the consent of the American people? Well, there's two elements to this, and one is using geolocation data. And Google has already, without anyone requesting it, already sharing the location data of its users with the government. And now they're saying they're doing it at an aggregate level. So they're saying, well, you know, there's not any personal identifiers here. It's just anonymized data. But as anyone who's had any experience working with anonymized data sets know, it's very easy to actually re-identify, to figure out who's who and where they've been if you have a corresponding data set, which Google has. So Google's already sharing that location data. Then you have the second issue of the contact tracing technology that Google and Apple are developing, which is based on Bluetooth proximity data. And so basically what that means is if, my, if you're an infected person and you, you know, put into the app that you've been diagnosed positively, your phone will ping off of different of other phones around you. And that person who your phone has pinged will get a notification that says you've been in contact with someone. So uh, in theory, so let me just ask you with that, Rachel, why should people be concerned with that? Well, we should be concerned because of what we don't know. Um, you know, these companies have said, oh, we'll protect your privacy. We're not going to keep this data. We're not going to market off it. But at the end of the day, these are just promises that have nothing to back them up. Um, we've n Google in particular is a serial privacy violator. Um, they're under numerous, they've been fined numerous times for violating your privacy. Um, you know, they've said, oh, you know, we'll keep data sets separate. We won't advertise off them. And then they do. So there's not a whole lot of trust, I think, that, that people have in these companies. Uh, Washington Post actually just did a poll a couple of days ago that showed that actually three out of five Americans won't use this app because they don't trust these tech companies. So the American people, as usual, have a pretty good gut check, I think, on, on what's going on here. Wow, that's good. All right, Mike, let me jump over to you. The Internet Accountability Project uh, is it, very much a unique voice within the conservative movement. Both of you, all of us, we have uh, great respect, love for our, our First Amendment, obviously, uh, and we want to protect those rights. And uh, you understand, we all understand here that big tech is posing a, an enormous potential threat. And this whole concept of the Internet Accountability Project, I think, puts you in a whole different level, both of you, on the, uh, when it comes to conservative think tanks and policies, that type of thing. Uh, why, why does the Internet Accountability Project need to exist? What is it? Uh, what, what are you hoping to accomplish with this? What we want to do at the Internet Accountability Project is lend a conservative voice uh, to the discussion related to big tech. Um, we, we're seeing big tech companies like Google and Amazon in particular uh, getting bigger and more powerful, and they're profiting. They're profiting 
off of human sex trafficking, revenge porn, re revenge porn, the opioid epidemic and drug addiction, terrorism, and all other human forms of misery, and along with their egregious business practices, like their snooping, spying, political bias against conservatives, employee abuses, um, and anti-competitive behavior. So what we're trying to do is show lawmakers in Washington, D.C., Republican lawmakers in Washington, D.C., along with uh, attorneys general around the country, that there is a there is a conservative voice that uh, that believes that that uh, we need to we need to hold big tech accountable. A lot of conservatives think that you know they're free market. So if you're a free market conservative, you can't have you know any regulation, any law enforcement. I would just say to people, for example, with the antitrust laws, we have antitrust laws on the books, and if Google is not a case study. Uh, and, and monopoly using this power to harm competition and harm the market. I don't know what it is. So I, I would say to people, just like we don't want immigration amnesty, we certainly don't want antitrust amnesty. Um, another thing that we want to look at is Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act of 1996. That was put in place 24 years ago when the Internet was, was in its infancy. And what it does basically is, is these Internet, like, uh, Facebook can't be sued for what their users post online. And it, it made sense 24 years ago because the publishers would have wiped America Online off the map. Fast forward 24, year, 24 years later, these big tech monopolies, they're, they're trillion dollar monopolies now and they're, they're using their power. They're not the post office anymore. They, they're not the online bulletin board anymore. They're actually targeting conservatives and, and uh, you know, silencing conservatives. So we want to we want to take a look at Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. It's time to reboot. It's time to reformat. It's time to upgrade. It's time for these 24-year-old um, Internet startups to uh, you know, get out of Uncle Sam's basement. We don't need to coddle them anymore. And then the last thing that we want to look at is that your personal, uh, your personal data, what you, put, like what you post on the, the internet that belongs to you that's a personal property right that belongs to you and those are the three big things the antitrust section 230 and your personal data is your personal property well that is awesome uh, stuff and again i just want to publicly say thank you all for your leadership on this how is it being received i guess i have uh, two two thoughts with this number one how is it being received as you're presenting this not only to the public but to other organizations and uh, political leaders so forth and secondly, what when you say we need to hold big tech accountable, what does that look like? Is it is it a matter of just exposing what they're doing and, and raising alarm to the American people? Or are there some specifics that can actually hold them accountable? Yeah, I would say that the how we can hold them accountable, accountable is to enforce our antitrust laws that are already on the books, number one. And for Congress to take a take a look at uh, updating Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, along with your personal your your personal data is your personal property. But the the antitrust issue is the biggest issue right now because those laws are on the books. They've been on the books for a long, long time. There are clear cut antitrust issues with Google and Amazon in particular, and the Department of Justice, the Federal Trade Commission, and the state attorneys generals need to step up. We've been seeing a lot of stepping up by the 50 state attorneys generals uh, in this country. They're doing a great job on a bipartisan base, basis 
we need to see more stepping up with the uh, with the antitrust law enforcers in Washington D.C. Well, this whole issue of the massive data collection on citizens is uh, from companies Google, Apple, wh whomever else. I mean, it really is staggering when you look at this, and so much of it is taking place as we've been talking about without any consent uh, from individuals, and you add to that particularly now with the coronavirus taking place, so many other threats against civil liberties that are coming from governors from different states. and all. You know, once the genie's out of the bottle, it's very difficult to get that genie back in place. And I, I just feel like, personally, this is going to be one of the big, big, big upcoming battles that we're going to have probably for months, uh, years uh, to come. Uh, when, when Congress gets back in session to not only limit the size and scope of government that is taking place during this virus, but to reestablish our individual liberties. And Rachel, let me kick back to you. I, I know the Freedom Caucus, we, we actually sent a letter to the president recently warning about what is happening uh, and just making sure that he's aware with what we're discussing here in this conversation. But Rachel, I know you, you write a lot, you talk a lot about uh, in, in various opportunities you have to uh, to speak up on this type of issue and the collection of data and information without our consent is so uh, wide ranging. I mean, from uh, in individual issues to medical issues, who knows what all. But one issue now that is becoming potentially alarming that people need to be aware of is children. I mean, I think now of children being out of school, children doing their work online, what kind of problem is potentially being posed not only for adults in America, but right now for college age and below who are taking classes online? Yeah, it's a great point that you raise about the data collection. I think it goes to this broader issue of, you know, these companies for a number of years have always posited themselves as just free services, but in reality, they're not free. You transact with your personal data, and that is how Google makes 90% of its money, is transacting off of your personal data that you may not even know you're sharing. And I think a perfect example of this is the education technology, or what we call ed tech, that's facilitating a lot of the home learning that's going on right now. Um, but in over half of the nation's public schools, they're using Google services. So Gmail, Google Docs, um, Chromebooks, all these different services, YouTube, which is owned by Google, and there's been actually two lawsuits now filed at the state level, the most recent in New Mexico, alleging that Google's collecting the data on students' personal locations, the websites they visit, the YouTube videos they watch, even going as far as to record their voices. Uh, and they're co-mingling that school use with their students' personal uh, interactions with the web as well. And so Google's making a ton of money off of something that, you know, they pitch as altruistic and free, but really it's 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 a huge moneymaker for Google and they're violating a ton of privacy um, as a result. They've been fined um, just at the end of last year, 170 million for illegally harvesting the personal data of children on YouTube. Um, and this is a predictable behavior from Google. So a lot of what we're trying to do at IAP is just to make sure people know this is happening because I think there's a deference to these companies um, that they're just good good actors and they're altruistic and therefore they need no oversight. And I think as we're seeing, that's, that's not true. The more we use tech, the more oversight is actually needed. Wow. 
Well, I tell you the the issue that uh, the the whole uh, big tech landscape uh, concerns that both of you have laid out with tremendous clarity today on this program is extremely important to have. Mike, let me kind of land the plane with you here. Um, you know what what steps need to be taken? Uh, what proposals? What policies need to come forth from Congress? that specifically would, would enable an environment where the big tech in, industry can continue being innovative, doing great work, while at the same time protecting our individual freedoms? And, you know, and, and even what can our listeners do to, uh, to be involved in the process of helping protect our freedoms? That's a great question, Congressman. I, I think if I think of my mom and dad using Gmail or doing Google searches, they just, you know, they think it's great because you can go on there, you have free email, you have free internet searches, and they just, like Rachel was saying, that people need to come to terms with the, what, what free means. That, that uh, you know, when people sell things, they're, you know, what, that there's a product that they sell. Apple sells the iPhone. They, you know, they have hardware that they sell. Google sells us. We are the product. We are the commodity. And so they sell, they find out as much information as they can about us, uh, even information we don't want them to know, and they sell it to advertisers, and they make a lot of money doing this. And so I think th this has to be a, a multi-phased uh, effort where we need to educate the American people about what big tech is doing, how big tech is uh, surveilling the entire world really, but particularly the country, and how they're creating these digital dossiers on each one of us. And they, they have all this data on us, on our, our movements, on our internet searches, like Rachel said, our, our voice uh, when, when we go online and, and talk. I mean, it's, it's staggering how much data that they're collecting on each of us. And then what we need to do in Washington is, like we said before, we need to enforce the antitrust laws that are already on the books, and then we need to take a look at Section 230. Again, this is uh, a law that's 24 years old, and these 24-year-olds need to get out of Uncle Sam's basement. Um, it's time for them to, to grow up. They're, they're, they've gone from these startups that publishers were going to wipe off the map to now that they are trillion-dollar monopolies, that uh, they don't need Uncle Sam's coddling anymore. So antitrust, Section 230, and then looking at your personal data as your personal property. But more than that, we also need oversight from Congress. We need We need Congress to call in executives from Google and executives from Amazon and just ex explain what they're doing, ex explain the, rep the representations they've made to Congress in the past and uh, explain, uh, you know, if those representations aren't true, hold them accountable. Great points. Or real quickly, our, we've got listeners out there, they want to follow up and, and learn more about what you're involved with. How can people get more information about the Internet Accountability Project? Where do they go? Yeah, there's our, we have a website, it's theiap.org, the, T-H-E-I-A-P, uh, the Internet Accountability Project.org. And then we're also on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is the underscore IAP, so it's at the underscore IAP. Outstanding. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Tremendously important issue, and you guys, both of you, have just done a great job uh, bringing clarity and alarm uh, to this issue. I appreciate you joining us. Folks, listen, that's Thank all you. the time we have today for this episode. I know you got a lot out of this. I would 
I encourage you as always to rate, subscribe, and to pass this program along in, in every way that you can. But you can subscribe, rate, review us on iTunes and SoundCloud. And always to get more information about the Freedom Caucus, you can follow us at uh, facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus. And of course, on Twitter, Twitter simply at Freedom Caucus. Thank you again so much for joining us. Until next time, hope you have a fantastic day.